You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. Today, it's Harini's turn to tell us a grand story, and I'm excited. Again, I have no idea what the heck she's going to be talking about. <laughs> Neither or maybe do I. I do. I did look at the schedule. I did look at the schedule, but I think my brain just did not absorb it at all. So No, your, your brain is correct because I am so that person that loves surprises that mm-hmm. I know Megan shares the calendar with me, so I'm like... <laughs> Do I put it in? I, like, I don't want to. I was like, I want her to enjoy. I want her to enjoy yes. and be totally, completely surprised. So I'm that right. kind of person who will just be like very cryptic. I don't think I'm misremembering then because I just looked at the schedule and I think it just says Harini's new episode or something. Exactly. Like yeah. Okay, cool, cool. All right. It's shrouded in mystery. <laughs> we love mystery. We love a good mystery. And I feel like your stories as of late, your newer stories are always kind of have some mystery element, like a whodunit mm-hmm. element or how did this happen? Yeah. So I'm breaking yeah. that today. <laughs> okay. That's okay. You know, well, you gotta break that cycle. I don't know. I guess you can, you can be the judge of that. But okay. I will say, I think I bit off more than I can chew for this one. Mm. I've, I've been wanting to do this topic for a while, mostly because I don't know a lot about it. Like, I think mm-hmm. I have a baseline understanding of what it is, but I really wanted to like dig deep. No pun mm-hmm. intended. Once you find oh. out. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be digging today, friends. Digging today. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but when I actually did the research, I was like, this is too much. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that's why I got a little overwhelmed. But anyways, I I narrowed it down a little bit. So hopefully it is uh, bite-sized enough where everyone can enjoy it and understand with me. Yeah. And that Poison mm-hmm. Pals is why sometimes we have two-part episodes yes. because we'll do a story and then we're like, I can't do all of this in one day. <laughs> in one day. We got we to gotta cut it up. All right, Harini, you can take us away. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the permafrost. Oh. Like, do you know what that is? In the, in the ca- uh, North Capsules Glaciers North yeah. Pole. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be talking about the permafrost yeah. and what's bubbling underneath the permafrost layer okay all right um i am immediately getting uh x files throwback i'm getting the thing throwback (laughs) i don't know if if y'all are into classic sci-fi tropes of uh, alien beings Mm -hmm. stuck in the permafrost you know i you know if you grew up watching the x files you know exactly what i'm talking about so i'm excited all right what are we what do we got today (laughs) Got a That's lot of things. Lots of zombies, <laughs> lots of monsters lurking love beneath it. the ice. Okay. Love it, love it, love it. I will say this is this is not really one single story. It's kind of a collection of stories, if you will. So we'll get right into it. Okay. So in a small town in Siberia in 2016, there was a mysterious outbreak that led to one death, a 12-year-old boy, and 90 more hospitalized. This is 2016. We've talked about this before. Megan, I, I will ask you, but I, I feel like the answer is going to be no. Did you mm. hear about this outbreak of these people getting really, really sick in Siberia out of nowhere? I know I did not. So this is all news to me. This 
I'll be honest, it sounds familiar, okay. uh, but it could be one of those situations where it's like, I imagined that I heard it, but it, it sounds familiar. Okay. Like, yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll keep going and you'll, uh-huh. there's some key phrases that might perk your memory. Okay. So okay. we'll continue. All the right. symptoms were highly consistent with anthrax, but there mm. hadn't been an anthrax outbreak for almost 70 years. Mm. Health experts, after much investigating, figured out where the anthrax came from, and it was from quite the unusual source. The unusually high temperatures from global warming thawed the corpses of reindeer and other animals from decades earlier. And some of these reindeer were infected with anthrax when they died. So when they thawed, it was released. It The anthrax basically became alive again and then infected these humans. I feel like I've heard the association of reindeer yes. with anthrax. Yes. I have heard this association actually more recently from our friend Drew. Right, uh, right. I think maybe around the time he did his anthrax episodes. If you want to right. listen to that, Poison Pals, and you don't know what we're talking about, what is anthrax, go listen to episode 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really mm-hmm, good episode. Mm-hmm. This was the first time something like this had ever happened, and it opened people's minds to the horrifying possibility, and now reality, that more diseases could pop up from the melting permafrost. Mm. The permafrost is preserving bacteria and viruses that are hundreds of thousands and even millions of years old. I'm talking like prehistoric disease. Mm. What I don't even know what that looks like. Deep within the permafrost, it's dark, it's cold, there's no oxygen for these ancient viruses and bacteria. All mm-hmm. they need is a little bit of warmth to perk back to life. <laughs> I'll put it this way. If you put your favorite Yoplait yogurt, a gogurt even, if you will, yes. in the permafrost and then take it out 10,000 years later, it will yeah. still be good to eat, says mm. Jean-Michel Clavery, a genomics researcher of ancient viruses and bacteria. He will feature later in my story. These microbes could one day wake up in a world where time is on their side, meaning they've awoken in an age where humans no longer have an immune defense against them. Mm. So, for example, like maybe they they were alive during the period of Neanderthals where they mm-hmm. had developed a natural immune response against these bacteria or viruses. But now they're waking up in the millennial age of all us kiddos, no mm-hmm. defenses whatsoever. So it's a, a feeding frenzy for them. What's more is that viruses and bacteria could live forever, technically, like in the permafrost. Some Mm -hmm. areas of the permafrost are 100 meters deep, which makes it about 1.5 million years old, according to Clavery. Now, are these viruses and bacteria mostly getting frozen in time on the corpses of dead organisms? Or are they on their own? Like, bacteria is a thing that is living you know what i mean like are they on their own just being frozen or is it usually an association with like some sort of rotting corpse it it's a multiple multiple things it could be Mm -hmm. rotting corpse it could be even like like and by corpse i mean even dead humans from prehistoric times Mm -hmm. bones whatever what have you it could be they could be on plants Mm. they could be on like rotting moss or bark or trees whatever or they could just be like in the water itself like in the frozen water just like today, there's bacteria pretty much everywhere. You mm-hmm. would find it very similarly frozen in time from all the way mm-hmm. back. Got mm-hmm. it. 
the the way I think about it is like you could basically catch a disease from your great grandfather times several hundred thousand, which <laughs> yes. is, you know kind of kind of cool as long as you don't die. But it's no secret that the North Pole region slash the Arctic is warming up at an accelerated rate with each mm-hmm. year that passes. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about the permafrost for a bit, but what is it? Permafrost is soil, rock, or peat that has been frozen to zero degrees Celsius, so below or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, for two or more years. So it doesn't have to be frozen for like hundreds of thousands of years. For it to be defined as permafrost, it has to be frozen for two years or more. And more than that, permafrost, as long as it meets those requirements, it can be found anywhere. So it's not just in the Arctic or, you know, uh, in the northern hemisphere of a region. It can be in Mount Kilimanjaro, it could be at the top of all these like big peaks mountains. So it's not mm-hmm. just limited to the Arctic. The permafrost covers 25% of the Northern Hemisphere, and it's a giant freezer of microbes, soil, carbon, poisons, and other mm. fun things. And beneath the Arctic permafrost is about 1.5 trillion tons of carbon, including methane, which is about two times as much as is found in our atmosphere currently. Hmm. So all these greenhouse gases are locked up right beneath our feet, waiting to burst. With the permafrost melting, these gases are now escaping and entering our atmosphere at up to 50 billion tons of methane a year with global warming. Hmm. And why this is concerning, besides the obvious, is because methane heats up our atmosphere with 25 times more efficiency than carbon dioxide. And as I said, it's now melting and re- revealing all kinds of creepy treasures it's held onto for millennia. So roads, buildings, and other infrastructure built on top of the permafrost, primarily in Siberia, is now mm-hmm. warping. So if you look at uh, images of the towns in Siberia, it li- literally kind of looks like a roller coaster because of like the, it's just so unstable, the permafrost ground in which it was built upon. The ice is releasing massive amounts of methane gas uh, along with deadly disease. There are plants being exposed to sunlight that haven't seen the light of day in almost 45,000 years per Mm. radiocarbon dating. There's a settlement in Svalbard, Norway called Longyearbyen, where there is a vault, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but there is a vault of just seeds to protect Mm -hmm. plant diversity in case the world ends, basically. Have you heard of this, like the, the seed vault? Yeah. Yeah. Also, pretty sure Watchmen, like the HBO TV show, Mm -hmm. had a vault or something, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. Something like that. They talk about that. Anyway. (laughs) Basically, the talk about that is now with rising temperatures, this location may not be as secure as we once thought. So carbon is not the only thing that's trapped in the soil. There's also mercury. So I I alluded to that there's poisons trapped Mm -hmm. in the soil. So we just did an episode on dimethylmercury where only two drops was enough to kill someone. Mm -hmm. There's... 15 million gallons of frozen mercury in the permafrost. That's, yeah, that's a big number, a big number compared to just two tiny drops on your hand. So that's two times the amount found in all other soil, the entire ocean and atmosphere combined. And if that amount of mercury is released, it will get into our water. It will disrupt the natural Mm -hmm. food chain or ecosystem and you know the rest. Is it all consolidated in one area or is this like in general the permafrost across the northern hemisphere at the tippy top of our earth has 15 yes. million gallons the okay tippy top it. of our earth in general okay. gotcha <laughs> yes. gotcha and then in spring 2019 a man <clears throat> named alexander kizyakov was rappelling down a 60 meter ice wall in siberia and every now and then he would stop and chisel some ice rich soil that had been frozen for eons 
His hobby is rock climbing, and he also happens to be a permafrost scientist, which sounds so, so cool. Mm -hmm. Where Alexander is rappelling down is called Bata Gate, also known to the locals as, quote, the gateway to the underworld. Mm. Bata Gate is home to the largest region of permafrost on the planet. In the 60s, Bata Gate was a small, just like a small divot, and now that divot has expanded over the years as the permafrost begins to melt away. You know, all of this sounds really otherworldly and frankly scary, but the permafrost from a scientific perspective or point of view is so appealing because it's essentially a time capsule that could provide insight into what ancient ecosystems and climates were like. If Mm -hmm. there's like, I would say 98% of it is bad, but the 2% is that silver lining, which is not much. (laughs) I'm looking at aerial shots of Batagay and it's kind of cool because it looks like a horseshoe crab. (laughs) Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you Google search Batagay and you, like the crevice, it looks like either a giant sperm or a horseshoe <laughs> crab. Oh, yeah, uh, you're right. That's so yeah. interesting. <laughs> Sorry. It's weird. It looks like an alien. I'm like, that this is, is like some sci-fi stuff. Dude, that what is an interesting little crack weird. in the earth. Yeah. Poison Palace, if you have the time, look it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, Batagay holds the oldest exposed permafrost soil and ice in Eurasia from the last 650,000 years. Global warming in Siberia is, of course, a huge environmental issue because the root cause is coming from the permafrost. We already talked about this, but the pent-up methane gas is just bubbling up from the ground. Apartment buildings are collapsing from the unsteady ground. Forests are on fire for the last three summers, which, Mm. of course, only accelerate the permafrost melting. One of the most intense heat waves in Siberia happened in the first half of 2020. Surprise, surprise, of course, 2020 sucked. But on June 20th, about 75 kilometers from Batagay is a town called Verkhoyansk. Verkhoy, let me say this again. Verkhoyansk. Yeah, Verkhoyansk. One of the coldest places on the planet. But on this day in June, Verkhoyansk reached 100.4 degrees, the hottest recorded temperature in the Arctic. This is Santa, Santa temperature. Yeah, Santa's (laughs) having a little vacation time in that 100 degree weather. For real, where he's on a beach somewhere. The temperature, and what they said, the scientists said, this temperature is not possible. It's Mm. without human intervention. It's literally impossible to have this Mm. kind of temperature without us little slimy humans. (laughs) Although the permafrost is melting, as I said, 98% of that is bad, but the 2% positive is that it provides us insight into what life was like millions of years ago. So, for example, The research team learned that during the last ice age, which I looked this up because I was curious, when was that? It was Mm -hmm. around 115,000 to 12,000 years ago. So during that time, according to the permafrost, the world was quite lush in vegetation. There were woolly mammoths, woolly rhinos, which I didn't know was a thing, and other now extinct herbivores. Mm -hmm. So that's really key because there are so many herbivores in this layer of permafrost and that tells us that it was truly a very lush vegetation, lush paradise for foraging animals mm-hmm. uh, that is now completely gone. The permafrost is a ticking time bomb with how quickly it's thawing from increased temperatures. And the thought of sudden and mass releases of methane gas into the atmosphere accelerating global warming is apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. And Russia is especially thinking about this because more than 60% of Russia is permafrost. Outside of Russia, one of the countries that has a large chunk of permafrost is Greenland. Greenland is larger than Germany, but has half the population of New Haven, just to give you a snapshot. Whoa. Yeah, very small. That's teeny tiny. Yeah. Teeny, teeny, teeny. 
at the top of our planet is a polar ice cap, but that is becoming less and less true with climate change. So it, the way that the scientists like to think about it is it's more a landlocked ocean, uh, as this Atlantic article puts it so nicely. One of the largest land masses that landlocks this ice cap slash ocean is Svalbard, which is north of Norway. So we just talked about this. One of my colleagues at, at work just went to Norway and mm -hmm. from Norway, there's like a little bit of ocean and then you can see Svalbard as an island. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure you can see it from Norway mm -hmm. um, and you can go there. I think there's like a little ferry that you could take from the tip of Norway to get to Svalbard. And she was telling me because Svalbard is where the seed vault is. Okay. And so I'll go on to say, this is what she told me. She was like, where does it go? Uh, so Svalbard is so heavily populated with polar bears that if you want to step foot in Svalbard, you ha have to carry a rifle with you. Mm -hmm. So when she got onto the ferry, they're like, do you have your rifle? And she was mm -hmm. like, I forgot it at home. <laughs> I know. She was like, sorry, I left it at the hotel. She's like, right. okay, then you can't board the ferry. She's uh... like, oh, wow. Like, like they don't provide legit. you with a free rifle, <laughs> man. Dude, I wouldn't even know what to do with that if someone put right. that in my hands. I'd be like, right. no, thank you. I'll, I mean, why do I want to go see that anyways? Right. I, I wonder if you're going to go to that island, they have like free rental rifles. They must, right? Because I'm, they must. Yeah. yeah. So I want to just, this is all a side note. It's nothing to do with permafrost, mm -hmm. but I, I think this is interesting. But I wanted to quickly talk about the seed vault because I would say this episode is permafrost, but it also kind of has a doomsday feel to it. Okay. So I feel like this is in line. Um, it They do call it like a doomsday vault, essentially with more than 930,000 varieties of food crops right. stored in what looks like a massive safety deposit box. <laughs> and... and I mean, it's it makes sense. I think it's necessary because in the last 50 years, although our agricultural practices advanced mm -hmm. allows to have large scale farming, our biodiversity decreased mm. to the point where we now only have 30 crops that provide 95 percent of our human food mm. needs. And to give you a sense of what that means, like what the change has been, only 10% of the rice varieties found in the 1950s are still used today in China mm. and the United States. We've lost more than 90% of our fruits and vegetables since the 1900s. 90%. Yeah, I know. I only need 10 fruits in my rotation. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I do. I do like GMO or whatever in the sense that we have evolved to have seedless watermelons yes, because those yes. seeds a problem. <laughs> I I have a beef with those seeds. I put one up my nose and it was traumatizing. So we, we were past that. <laughs> I'm all about the seedless grapes. I, I any grapes that have seeds, uh, I'm like I don't. Know. Do you got seedless grapes? I literally nice. those are seedless grapes right next to me. I, I was Perfect. having a snack while doing my episode. Yeah. Anyways, back to the permafrost. <laughs> Russian botanist Dmitry. Ivanovsky was 28 years old when he presented his evidence of something that boggled his mind. He found a disease with no germ. He exposed tobacco leaves to a clear liquid and watched the leaves turn a mottled brown, but he couldn't find the causative bacteria under a microscope, which could explain the change. Many, de many decades earlier, Louis Pasteur in 1892 taught us that microbes cause disease, yet there was no microbe in question here. Dimitri deduced that whatever was causing this brown modeling had come from the clear liquid. So he called this disease with no germ a virus, mm. which is the Latin word for slime. Fun fact. Love that. <laughs> and that is when we first, I know, just slime. slime. And that's when we first learned of viruses. Mm -hmm. 
125 years later, we still use Dimitri's term, but with more knowledge under our belts, we know that viruses are far stranger than what Dimitri first mm-hmm. thought and far more complex as well. Viruses replicate themselves millions of times over in its life cycle, but it doesn't live mm-hmm. unlike bacteria. That's a big distinction. Right. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't mate. It doesn't eat. It just hijacks the host and makes more of itself. Mm. A single virion can make 10,000 copies of itself in an instant, but it remains this mindless substance. Like I think this is where all the thoughts of like zombies and the permafrost come in. So we talked about Jean-Michel Claverie earlier, but him and his wife, Chantal, are both professors of microbiology. And during the turn of the century, they established themselves as two of the world's most famous microbe hunters. Mm. So cute. It is a fun callback, but in 2002, they were researching Legionnaire's disease in their lab in Marseille. Mm -hmm. In a Marseille lab. That sounds so fun. (laughs) And they were researching Legionnaire's disease when they discovered the largest virus ever called Mimivirus. Hmm. Since then, they found four more monstrous large viruses, one in a shallow Australian lake, another in a bucket of Chilean coast seawater, Hmm. and a third, wait for it. In a woman's contact lens. Whoa. Okay, when they're doing this research, how do they acquire all these objects? Like, <laughs> I know. we need one bucket of Chilean seawater, <laughs> a woman's contact lens. Like, are they witches? Are they making like a virus yeah, I lo- stew? Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. They are the modern day micro witch hunters. Yeah, yes. So um, you know, I literally thought that's so funny because I thought the same thing when I was reading this. I was like, how did they find this one bucket of Chilean right, seawater? Out of all the things. I, I feel like perhaps people know that they are microbiologists and this is their thing. They're quite famous, Mm. popular in their field. Maybe people are sending them things or telling them, hey, come check out this area. There might be viruses here. Right, right, right. That's probably probably right. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But but more importantly, these viruses all infect amoeba and not people. Okay, good. (laughs) But can the amoeba infect us? That's right. That's right. And amoebas, some can. Yeah. Don't don't think, don't do the neti pot wrong, right? Like that's that's dude, the like thing. Amoeba straight to the like, brain. <laughs> I know, like it's like it's like the funnest water slide for the I amoeba know. to go <laughs> right to your brain. <laughs> you know that? Do you know that that sound on TikTok or Instagram where it's just like like you know all like the fun little? Have you seen that one? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I I'm so bad with TikTok audio. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you later. Cut that if it doesn't make sense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but these microcross lovers, Clavery and Abergel or Chantel, weren't even remotely thinking of monstrous viruses when they were poking around the permafrost. They were there in 2013 because they read about a Russian team that found a seed hmm. that was lodged deep within the permafrost, 125 feet below the surface. And now it was thawing and growing these delicate white flowers. Ooh. Yeah. So they asked the Russian team if they could do research on this flowering plant, uh, and the seed was sent over to their lab. Mm -hmm. So they put the sample under a high-res microscope, brought the seed to room temperature, and fed it an amoeba as bait and just waited. Okay. (laughs) Sure enough, a virus appeared in the microscope's view. Hmm. Pithovirus Sibiricum, a virus that survived for 30,000 years in the frozen ice. It was also the largest virus ever discovered. Wow. Okay, wait, sorry. So, so sidetrack. So they take mm. the amoeba to send in as a host that the virus will transfer itself onto. Okay. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. All right. 
That's wild that yes. a virus is just hanging out on a seed. It's like waiting. I know. Waiting. It's like, now's my time. <laughs> I know. Fools. Time to shine. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of like plankton. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like from yeah, SpongeBob, yeah, yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Clavery said, quote, it turns out the viruses we are getting in the permafrost are extremely abnormal, but extremely fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, this virus poses no threat to humans, but not all pathogens that thought out of the permafrost will be like mm-hmm. that. Like the biggest thing is like more anthrax will come about. Mm-hmm. The the ones that scare people the most, or at least like some most people, are that the viruses or diseases that we have eradicated, anthrax, smallpox, will start to bubble up to the surface again and then take over the planet. <laughs> <laughs> great (laughs) yes so canadian scientists recently found a strain of bacteria called penny bacillus Mm -hmm. in a new mexico cave that was closed for four million years Mm -hmm. so it's a four million year old virus this or bacteria rather this ancient bacteria was resistant to most modern antibiotics including the most recent and most aggressive ones Mm -hmm. this suggests that these ancient bacteria can survive in the most extreme and exotic environments what everyone is worried about, and by everyone I mean conservationists and scientists mostly, is that the Arctic Ocean might be opened up to commercial use. Mm. There's a lot of untapped resources in the Arctic, and I'm talking precious metals, petrol, so essentially gas and gold mm-hmm. is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. All at once, you could release 16 million tons of permafrost trying to extract this gas and gold. And in the process, you would release all of these diseases, mm. right? So that's what people are really worried about is like if like we need to balance out the need and greed for wanting all these untapped resources, but also knowing that if you do that, you could expose all of human life to these ancient bacteria slash viruses right. that could pose a deadly threat to right. us. And basically, again, like what, what I just said, what we're worried is the release of microbes unknown to humankind. Mm. So there, we know about... Uh, smallpox we know about anthrax but what about all these diseases prehistoric disease that we don't know about because right. we weren't there right? right and so those could be harmful to us at least to modern humankind and what clavery was thinking about was you know what i always go back to he says is no one understands why the neanderthals went extinct mm. for example was it a permafrost locked disease we don't know and we might soon find out mm-hmm. Most recently, a patch of permafrost in Greenland burst into flame, and that fire raged on for weeks, kind of similar to the 1969 Ohio River Mm, fire. mm -hmm. But the thawing of the permafrost is real, and it's happening right now. And it will present itself as more fires, floods, and literal plagues that arise invisibly from the ice and spread to the rest of the world. Mm. And that's it. Wow. (laughs) Okay. I did not think we were going to end on a note like that. That was, um, okay. All right. Everybody panic. Just start panicking. Let's just, let's just all go to the North Pole together and just uh, get it done with. Yeah. (laughs) Grab your rifles, you know, let's just go. Right. The fun fact for me here, this is the most mundane, (laughs) probably fun fact for you because you just gave us some awesome knowledge. But to me, the fact that anything can be ter- permafrost it just has to be like two years into the mm-hmm. f- it's be- yeah frozen at what was it zero degrees celsius 
Yeah. Zero degrees Zero Celsius. Yeah. Because yeah. because my understanding of permafrost was that like <laughs> permafrost equates ancient. Permafrost is like yes. the ice of the ice. Like it is the most yeah, frozen yeah. of centuries old ice. Um, but right. I, I guess not. It just has to be two years old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. I, I know you said this is a mundane mm-hmm. fact, but that blew my mind yeah. too. I was like, oh, I didn't know like anything could be permafrost. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. So yeah, there's like tops of mountain peaks that are nowhere near the Arctic Circle that are considered permafrost, right. you know, but obviously the permafrost that we care about and because they cause disease and methane gas explosions mm-hmm. and whatever is in the Arctic gotcha. Circle primarily. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just rather it all stay frozen. So we need to significantly reduce our greenhouse gases yeah. like yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel strongly that we're not going to be around, honestly, for the worst to come. I think these things do take some so. time. But it and it, it's one of those like, where where do our ethics stand on caring for future civilization, essentially? Sure. But to make myself feel better, because this is ending on a sad note. Yeah. I'm just gonna be yes, like, you please. know what? I'm gonna be gone and I'll do my part <laughs> if I can. <laughs> not that I don't I'm, know if that was ending on a happy not, note either. Not that I'm not taking responsibility, but I'm like, yeah. you know, some things might be out of my control. <laughs> yeah, all the future kids of America listening to yeah. this are like, oh my god. <laughs> They're like, thank uh, you great. For thanks nothing. for abandoning us. Um, yeah, I know. But yeah, anyways. This was not supposed to be an exciting episode, or rather, like uplifting episode. This is more to satiate my curiosity. Oh, totally. What the heck yeah, is the permafrost. So, uh, yeah, it's a little doom and gloom, yeah. but you know, sometimes this pod is like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. No, that's that's um, yeah, it's super interesting. So these reindeer that have anthrax on them, they probably were not ancient reindeer. They're probably just reindeers that were frozen in the last couple of years, and because it's it's Correct. more, it's a more superficial permafrost the access to the their bodies being melted is a little faster that makes sense that's exactly yeah, right that makes sense. yeah so i didn't include this in the story mm-hmm. but basically the reindeer i believe were shot or killed or they died somehow mm-hmm. in 1942 okay and be- basically because the ice that was i mean there was still global warming at the time mm-hmm. but not as much accelerated as it is mm-hmm. now but the ice was still very thick and hard so it's hard to dig a deep grave at that time so they just dug a shallow grave and left it like that not thinking that you know this would happen Mm -hmm. and that's essentially what happened it thawed very uh in the shallow yeah yeah. they released their fun yeah corpses super interesting super interesting yeah yeah this is a nice little quick one for Mm -hmm. us uh okay i'm glad i did the research yeah thank you for bringing that forward Everybody panic. Panic now. Panic. Um, okay. Go to your panic yeah, room. Yeah. Go to your own vaults with um, your storage of tomatoes <laughs> and your 10 fruit rotation. Exactly. Well, I was thinking when I saw that, I was like 90%. I'm like, what What else was there? Right. You know, like what else were we eating? I know. Other vegetables and fruits is just like different species. I'm assuming it's just like different species of the same thing. But. I imagine so. Okay. But what about all those fruits that are endemic to countries that are predominantly on the equator? You know, like they're... Uh, Things like the mangosteen fruit, a rambutan, lychee. Yeah. Lychee's a little more mainstream. Love. But like those type of fruits, are those being put in the vaults? Because those are special. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I think, I mean, I kind of thought this was a sparse uh, collection to pull from, but they, they only listed three countries mm-hmm. where they pulled the seeds from. And one of them was India. Okay. Another was like another like 
Asian country right. and then somewhere in the Midwest. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, or, you know, North America. Gotcha. And I was like, okay, that's good. Like not that's diverse- comprehensive in my yeah. mind, but uh, India for sure. Div- yeah, diverse <laughs> enough. India's big. Yeah. They probably have carried big. a lot of what Southeast Asia can <laughs> yeah. grow. So, yeah, I'm like, all, yeah. right, all right, India, that's good enough. That's fine. <laughs> keep our curries. Yeah, exactly. Keep, keep all those spices. Yeah. Like, come on. All now. the spices, all the mangoes. Yes. We're down. I'm, I'm fine if we have some mango pot. Oh, love it. Love it. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's go into antidotes. Megan is so uneasy from all the information I just sent her. I know. I'm like, <laughs> her brain. Who, who's controlling what goes in the vault? How come we don't have a say? <laughs> Can yeah. I go in the vault? Um, <laughs> yeah, keep me preserved. In the put vault. me in the perma. Just keep me, per- me in the perma. I was just gonna say, put me in the permafrost. Put me in, coach. That'll be my contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can't beat it, join it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, fuck it. Let's just go in together. <laughs> oh my god! You know how they say, like, instead of um, being buried in the ground uh-huh. and wasting coffins, yeah, yeah, yeah. wood and stuff like yeah. that, or even being cremated, yeah. just like like plant yourself as like a seed yeah. so a tree can grow i'm just gonna plant myself in the permit. yeah there you go so you could just <laughs> you be go. a nice little virus plant that grows. yeah and there'll be like a tiny little flag that says here lies harina yeah, i'll <laughs> be the bot virus <laughs> the bot virus yep mm-hmm. okay enough all right we can go into antidotes. Okay, antidotes, antidotes. my antidote is that I had my sister, she just left back for Sacramento. We had a wonderful week together, lots of outdoor time. We walked a lot to a point where we had to take a break a couple days. We're like, my feet, our feet both hurt. We walked so much. (laughs) So that's my antidote. I had a very fun filled week. My antidote, I don't have much of an antidote if I'm being honest. This weekend was kind of shitty shit, but uh, it's okay. I will say my antidote is my antidote is going to be Dave. Oh, yeah. We love when Dave's an antidote. I never like complimenting him. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Oh, I have to, don't let it get to his oh, head. Am I right? But no, I'm kidding. My antidote is Dave because I have been very busy and Dave has been phenomenal and cooking pretty much every single day, every meal for me, so I can have time to work on my stuff and do the things I need to do so that we can have and enjoy our honeymoon together. Yeah. So I truly, truly appreciate that because if it was just me by my lonesome, I would not be able to get all of this stuff mm, done. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate him. Yeah. His delicious food. I love that. Yeah. Shout out to Dave chefing it up. Harini's been sending me. It yeah. Harini's been sending me photos of the meals that he's been cooking her because she's been so busy with podcasting and prepping. And like mm-hmm. Dave, 10, 12 out of 10 on presentation <laughs> and on like the dish alone, like what it entails. Yeah. We should definitely upload some of his pics to Instagram as an appreciation <laughs> post. Be like, this yeah. is what Chef Dave has been serving. So yes, good antidote. Shout out to a mm, um, yes. good partner who's cooking for you when you're busy. We love that. Yes, really appreciate that. I, I need to return the favor eventually. <laughs> <laughs> when we get downtime. Okay. When we get more downtime. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right. All right. I can take us on out. Don't risk it for that monstrous, creepy, lurking virus biscuit. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Goodbye, Bye. boys and pals. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.